ಶನ್ನೋ ಮಿತ್ರಣ ಶನ್ನೋಭವತ್ವರ್ಯಮಸ್ಪತಿ ಶನ್ನೋ ವಿಷ್ಣುರುಕ್ರಮ ನಮೋ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣೆ ನಮಸ್ತೆ ವಾಯೋವ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಸಿ ಪ್ರತ್ಯಕ್ಷ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಋತ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ಸತ್ಯಂ ವದಿಷ್ಯಾಮಿ ತನ್ಮಾವಧು ತದ್ವಕ್ತಾರಮವಧು ಮಾತು ವಕ್ತಾರಂ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಸಹನಾವಧು ಸಹನೋ ಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತುಮೈ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಭ್ಯೋಧ್ಯಮೃತ್ಸಂಬೂವ ಸೇಂದ್ರಮೇಧಯಸ್ಪೃಣತ ತಸ್ಯಣೂಯ ಶರೀರ ಮೇ ವಿಚರ್ಷಣ ಜಿಹ್ವಾ ಮೇ ಮಧುಮತ್ತಮ ಕರ್ಣಾಭ್ಯಾಂಭೂರಿ ವಿಶ್ರುವ ಬ್ರಹ್ಮಣ ಕೋಶಿ ಮೇಧಯಾತ ಮೇ ಗೋಪಾಯ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಹಂ ವೃಕ್ಷಸ್ಯರೇರಿವ ಕೀರ್ತಿ ಪೃಷ್ಠಂಗಿರೇರಿವ ಊರ್ಧ್ವಪವಿತ್ರೋವಾಜಿನೀವಸ್ವಮೃತಮಸ್ಮೆ ದ್ರವಿಣಗುಂಸವರ್ಚಸ ಸುಮೇಧಾಮೃತೋಕ್ಷಿತೇತ್ರಿಶಂಕೋರ್ವೇದಾನುವಚನ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಪೂರ್ಣಮದ ಪೂರ್ಣಮಿದ ಪೂರ್ಣಾತ್ಪೂರ್ಣಮುದ್ಯದ ಪೂರ್ಣಸ್ಯೂರ್ಣಮಾದಾಯ ಪೂರ್ಣಮೇವಶಿಷ್ಯದೆ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಶ್ರುತಿಸ್ಮೃತಿಪುರಾಣ ಆಲಯಂಕರುಣಾಲಯ ನಮಿ ಭಗವತ್ಪಾದಶಂಕರ ಲೋಕಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರ ಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಕೇಶವ ಬಾದರಾಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಂದೇ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ 
ईश्वर गुरुरात्मेरे मूर्ति भेद विभागिने व्योमवद्व्याप्तदेहाय दक्षिणामूर्तये नमः अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अखंडम सच्चिदानंदम अवांग मनसगोचरम अवांग मनसगोचरम आत्मानमखिलाधारम आत्मानमखिलाधारम आश्रये भीष्टसिद्धये आश्रये भीष्टसिद्धये अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अर्थतोप्यद्वयानंदान अतीतद्वैतभानतः गुरुनाराध्य वेदांत गुरुनाराध्य वेदांत सारं वक्ष्येय सामदे सारं वक्ष्येय सामदे Now we start here a new section, the Jiva and Superimposition. Ishvara Chaitanya Samanyataha Mahaprapancha Adhyarova Prakaram Saprapancham Abhigaya. What has been done so far is what we have discussed is a superimposition of this Mahaprapancha, of this great universe consisting of gross, subtle and causal universes. So there is a gross universe perceptible to us, a subtle universe which makes it run, and a causal universe which is the cause of both gross and the subtle. There's three universes. And each universe has a two, two standpoints. Again, two standpoints. One is what we call the Vesti or the individual standpoint. Another is the Samasti or the aggregate standpoint. Thus, these three universes, each consisting of the Vyashti and the Samashti, all, all these three in turn again make up what we call a great universe, which was called Mahaprapancha, or a great cosmos or a great universe. And this whole great universe, consisting of gross, subtle and the causal, again having the standpoints of individual and the aggregate, all of these is superimposed upon consciousness, or Chaitanyam, awareness, or what is not Ishwara Chaitanyam, which is God. So Brahma or God or Chaitanyam, also called awareness or consciousness, whatever you want to call it. The idea is, it, you should understand what these words are intended to mean. All these words have their common connotations. No doubt about that. Awareness is understood to mean something. Consciousness also is understood to mean something. God is understood. Everybody has their own ideas about what these terms mean. But you must know in what sense these words are used here. Because otherwise you keep on superimposing further things. But Swami, you said consciousness is like that. Then that's the consciousness you think. Not the word consciousness that is applied in, you know, applied in this sense in which it is applied here. And so you must understand the sense in which these words are applied here. Truth. Brahman. And that happens to be, Brahman, which is truth, happens to be changeless happens to be self-effulgent, happens to be intelligent, happens to be awareness, happens to be full, complete, and therefore 
these words are used to denote Brahman <coughs> and many others. Nitya, Shuddha, Buddha, Mukta, Swahava. Nitya means eternal. Now again, eternal means we imagine something in time. Eternal here only means that upon which even the time is superimposed. Shuddha, pure. Mukta, free. Buddha, enlightened. So these are the words that are used. And each of these words is explained in great detail. And thus, the purpose of all the discussion is really to clarify the meaning of these words, so that when these words are uttered, that they create in us a proper impact. <coughs> so Ishvara Chaitanya, in what we call Ishvara means Lord, which is Chaitanyam, which is awareness, intelligence, Samanyataha, in general, what we call Mahaprapanchadhyarupaha, the superimposition of this great universe consisting of the gross, subtle and the causal universes. Abhidaya, this has been stated so far, this is what we have discussed. There are two, one is I, other is everything other than I. These are the two entities in this creation. And so, it is being said here that both of these are superimposed upon one substratum. That substratum alone is called Brahman or called Chaitanyam. Upon them, upon that alone the whole universe is superimposed. Upon that also the sense of individuality is superimposed. Just as upon one water there is a superimposition of a wave which is samasti, which is vesti or the individuality and there is also superimposition upon, I mean superimposition of ocean. So ocean also is a concept superimposed upon water. And way also is a concept superimposed upon the water. Whereas ocean, ocean nothing but aggregate of all the waves. And upon that again there may be bubbles. And there may be even foam. So wave may be considered to be uh, the causal universe. I don't know. And the bubble may be called subtle universe. And the foam may be considered gross universe. <coughs> so thus these universes are there, all of which are superimposed upon one water. And so also with the whole ocean, which is the aggregate of all these universes, that's called Mahaprapancha. So ocean, which is the aggregate of all the universes, universe of, universe of waves, universe of bubbles, universe of foam, and any other things that can be there. So the aggregate of all these universes is what we call ocean. That's called Mahaprapancha, or the great universe, which also is nothing but a superimposition upon water. So that superimposition, which is a superimposition upon the great universe, has been explained so far. The reason to explain that is what we call the universe, what we call ocean, consisting of all these different worlds or universes, is nothing but water. And thus, so that we can see water where the ocean is. Similarly also, so that we can see the Chaitanyam, we can see Ishwara, we can see Brahman, where the universe is in the gross, subtle and the causal universe, so that we can see that. Sarvam Khaluidam Brahma. That section was con concluded with the mention of this Mahavakya, this statement from the Upanishad, Chandogya Upanishad, Sarvam Khaluidam Brahma. Sarvam Idam. Idam Sarvam means all this. Khalu indeed, Brahma. All this is indeed Brahma. <coughs> and that statement was explained in all these passages that we discussed so far. There also it was said that when a statement like that is made, there is an immediate meaning. When we use the word world, all of this, what is evident to us is, is again the universe of gross, subtle and causal universes. 
that is evident to us. And that becomes what we call the vachyartha, or the immediate meaning of the word this. But when you really analyze the implication of this word, or what the world, ult- word ultimately resolves into, then you realize that all these universes ultimately resolve into just one awareness, or one truth, and that becomes the lakshyartha, or the implied meaning of this. So even when the universe is this, what we understand by the word this is of course the evident universe, which is taken to be separate from us, and which is taken to be consisting of this diversity and multiplicity. But then, Upanishad says, all of this is Brahma. How can all of this be Brahma? All of this that appears before me is all limited. Each, anything that is in the universe is limited. Limited in time, limited in place, limited in every way. How can it be Brahma? Because the word Brahma, by the very derivation, means limitless. And I don't see limitless anywhere. What I perceive, what I come across, is all limited. And still, Shruti or Upanishad says, all this is indeed Brahman. <coughs> then it doesn't make sense. And when a statement does not make sense, then we have to look for what we call the implied meaning. When the Vachyartha or the immediate meaning does not make sense in a sentence, then we have to go for what we call Lakshyartha or implied meaning. And then we have to see what is meant by idam of this. That this universe of names and forms, but then... How, does the, how do these names and forms sustain themselves? What is the reality of these names and forms? Then we realize that wherever a name and form is, there must be something that gives existence to that name and form. Wherever a name and form is, there is something that enables that name and form to reveal itself. Wherever a name and form is, so there is something that gives it the usefulness or the purpose. And what is it that gives existence to a name and form? What is it that enables a name and form to reveal itself or to be known or to become an object of knowledge? And what is it that imparts to any name and form the usefulness and the place it has in the universe? It is that which is implied by this. So the word this implies that which is what we may call the very substratum of the name and form, which imparts it the existence, which imparts imparts it the intelligence which imparts it the usefulness or attractiveness or uh, love <coughs> or which makes it a cause of potential joy. Everything in the universe is a cause of joy. It can be. At least we can say it is a cause of potential joy. When our own mind becomes clean or pure, then we find that everything makes us happy. When our mind is not pure, then everything can make us unhappy also. But then, in fact, everything is a source of joy if our own mind is clear. And therefore we say that joy is the content of everything. Existence is the content of everything. Intelligence is the content of everything. And joy is the content of everything. And that is the content of every name and form. And that alone is really the truth or the essence of every name and form. It is existence, intelligence, and joy which alone manifests itself as the various names and forms. And that is what counts, and not a given name and form. There is division, no doubt, at the level of names and forms. But that existence, that intelligence, and that joy, there is no division there. You can't divide it. You cannot divide space. There appears to be division in the space because of the various walls and enclosures. But you can't really divide space. And similarly also, even though there appears to be a division in that existence, intelligence, joy, 
It looks as though it is divided into so many names and forms. In fact, existence cannot be divided. And so, that a division is apparent. Just as a division in the space is apparent. Just as a division in the water in the form of waves is apparent. And we can see through it. We realize that as long as the name and form of a wave is given importance, so long alone a wave looks different from other waves. But then, when we see through, then we realize that name and form is something that is just there, doesn't have an independent reality of its own, and thus, you know, Upanishad shows what we call idam sarvam, what we call all this, doesn't have a reality of its own. All this, what is evident, is the name and form, the universe of name and form, doesn't have a reality. What is its reality? That existence, intelligence, and joy. That's a reality. And that is really what is meant when it said, Sarvam Khaluidam Brahman. All this is indeed Brahman. What is Brahman? Existence, intelligence, joy. And all of this is that. They're opening our eyes, asking us to see properly. Yes, we see all divisions, and nobody has to tell us, you know. After all, you don't require scriptures to tell us that all this is diverse. This is all multiple. That everything is different from everything else. I know it without being told. When, where, is, where do we require scriptures? To show us something that is not evident to us. Although it is in front of us, it, it, it reveals itself and still not evident to us because our attention is focused on something else. Our attention is focused on these names and forms and therefore their existence, intelligence or joy which is evident or which is there is not evident to us. And so Upanishad or the Shruti gives us a vision. Look properly. You can keep asking questions, how can that become this and that and this? It's immaterial. How and why? The point is, what is it? Is it really name and form? They say, no, no. These are not, well, names and forms are there. Nobody said that they are not there. But, it is said that, even when these names and forms in the diversity is there, that there is that unbroken, undivided, indivisible existence, intelligence, joy. See that also. Yaf pashyati, sapashyati. As Lord Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, one who sees that, really sees. Everyone sees that external cover or costume of name and form. One who sees the one manifesting through that costume. And this names and form costume is very deceiving to us. Mohitam nabhijanadi, mame vyaf paramavyayam. Lord Krishna says that this world of the nature of sattva, rajas and tamas, it's so fascinating that people are deluded in their endeavor. They fail to appreciate me who is in and through them but beyond them. And how therefore on account of our preoccupation or fascination or rather attachments and aversions towards these names and forms, how we fail to appreciate the very essence or the content of the names and forms and that is what is Brahman, existence, intelligence, joy. Sarvam khaluidam Brahma. When we do not separate the two, meaning that we, when we say we do not separate, when we consider to be of the same degree of reality, that is what is meant by separation. So when we realize, when we think that the names and forms are the same degree of reality as the very substratum, then all these problems are there. But then the names and forms do not have the same reality as the very essence. So when you see that the names and forms do not matter, they are not there really. What is really there is only their existence, intelligence, joy, 
always focus your attention on the what is the essence in and through all the discussion what is sought to be conveyed is only one simple statement sarvam khalu idam brahma all this is indeed brahma that is what is sought to be conveyed yeah but swami you said there are so many devatas and essence organs all that stuff was all discussed yeah but how do you say that the sound travels in space it travels in air don't bother about that you know so don't waste your time and our time in all these kind of discussions which are as i said does it matter as far as the fundamental vision is concerned do these details matter all these details are there in order to show us an order that exists and when our mind sees an order because as long as i think there is total disorder as long as i think that the world is not explicable it doesn't make sense so long i'm not ready to to see the truth and never at the level of even creation vedanta shows us a harmony that obtains an order that obtains the see in and through the diversity also there is a harmony there is an order even that also is shown to us thus our mind becomes resolved no there is something here it's 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 not that it doesn't make sense there is some order there there is something behind all of this that is what first is shown to us just as in the in typical indian temple when the sanctum sanctorum you know sanctum sanctorum is right in the heart of the temple where there is no source of light and when you go and stand in front of that sanctum you don't see anything there all there is is one oil lamp or some lamp which is like you know that illuminates gives a little illumination to the whole sanctum and to the vigraha or the form which is there so if you don't see anything there then you come away so the one lamp is there and some ornaments are there which shine in the light of the lamp and that makes you see there is something there when there is something there then you wait there stand there and try to see what it is and slowly your eyes get tuned and then you see what is really there <coughs> and so it is necessary first to show that glory and in order also that also vedanta shows us how there is glory the whole creation nothing but the glory of the lord or how when you observe the creation there is an order and that makes us uh, that gives us at least a certain consolation there is something here shraddha or the faith or the trust arises and then i focus my attention more then i really see what the truth is and so that is the purpose of giving us this models showing us in order or the harmony that obtains even in apparent diverse creation but ultimate harmony is brahman which provides as we said which imparts the existence intelligence and joy content to everything <coughs> all of this with reference to universe or what we call tatpada in the statement tatvamasi that the word what is meant by that is all this is a universe and all and the creator of the universe all of that tatpada has been discussed so far
Now the author, the teacher, proceeds to discuss the Tvampada. The Tvam means meaning of I. And there also lots of superimposition goes on. Just as the superimposition of these three universes of names and forms, gross, certain and causal, takes place upon the universal consciousness, so also upon the same consciousness, the superimposition of the sense of individuality also takes place. So it's one substratum, one water, upon which there is superimposition of ocean, as a superimposition of the wave, and so also one substratum, asti bhati priyam, upon which there is superimposition of the whole universe, as well as superimposition of the sense of individuality, and that is what we call tvampada, or thou, and that is now what is being discussed in the subsequent passages. Idanim pratyagatmani visheshadhyaro prakaram darshaitum. Now, darshaitum to show visheshadhyaro prakaram, that this specific kind of superimposition that takes place upon, upon chaitanyam or upon awareness, upakramada idanim. The, this section now begins the discussion on that superimposition and the, the idea of jiva. <coughs> Now we are on page 69, passage 122. Idani, Idani, Pratyagatmani, Pratyagatmani, Idamidam, Idamidam, Ayamayam, Ayamayam, Aropayati, Iti, Visheshataha Uchyade Idanim now shows that there is a change of topic. Now Uchyade is going to be said Visheshataha Uchyade. We are going to now say or describe Visheshataha in particular. How Pratyagatmani upon the inner self. Pratyagatmani that, that which is pratyat as well as atma. The word atma is always used in the sense of self. And pratyat means inner. <coughs> so that upon the inner self, that we use the word inner and things like that. Even self, all of these are words. Uh, ultimately, it is no one word which is going to totally describe the self or the truth. But we call it Pratyagatma, inner self. So, Pratyalomena Anchadeidi Pratyak. <coughs> Anchade, that which shines Pratyalomena in a, in a contradict, contrary manner. So the world shines as that which is diverse, multiple, inert. This one shines quite opposite. Shines as one. As, as conscious. So that which shines as one, conscious, changeless. The world is changing, the one that shines just contrary to that, changeless. World is many, that which is one. World is inert, that which is conscious. So one that shines as something that is contrary to the world is called pratyak. So that which is pratyak, which is inner, as well as atma, the self, is called Pratyagatma, the inner self. 
So this word we find being employed in Kathopanishad also. How this idea of Pratyagatma, the inner self, comes? Kathopanishad says, Paranchikhani Vyatranatsvayambuhu Tasmat Parangpasyadi Nantaratman says, Lord has made the sense organs extrovert. Lord has made the sense organs extrovert and thereby as though killed them. Lord has as though killed the sense organs by making them extrovert. Why is it so? Tasmat parang pasyadi nantaratman On account of the fact that the sense organs are extrovert, meaning focused upon external world, there were tasmat parang pasyadi. That's the reason why this one always sees outwardly. His vision is always outward or extrovert. Nantaratman, this one never sees the self. The idea is that for solving any of our problems of sadness or unhappiness or fear or insecurity, where do we look out? We always look out. Nantaratman, we never look at ourselves. Because we have concluded the self is insecure, unhappy and therefore to solve those problems we always look out. This is called extrovertedness. This is what we may call materialism. Materialism meaning the extrovertedness where one looks upon matter or the external creation to solve the problem of our unhappiness or insecurity. It's one thing to look upon the world to solve the problem of hunger and thirst which is quite proper. But to look upon the world to solve the problem of insecurity or sadness or unhappiness is wrong. So, one who wants to solve the problem of sadness by looking at the world, then that is what we call an extrovert person. Anyway, everyone is extrovert. That because that's how the mind and the sense organs are created by Lord. Kastit dhiraha some wise person, some discriminative person, pratyagatmanamaikshat avrutta chakshuhu amrutattamichan, some wise person, or some discriminating or thinking contemplative person, amrutattamichan, desiring immortality. So, he sees that everybody is running after the sense objects, parajah kama anuyanti balaha, all these immature people of the world all the time are running after the sense pleasures and they were coming again and again in the trap of the death, meaning again and again living the life of birth and death. But then the wise man sees that no, that is, what he is looking for is dhruvam, dhruvamad dhruveshvahana prarthayande. The wise person realizing that what he is looking for is dhruvam, something lasting and therefore this world and the objects and the achievements which are all transient or temporary or limited, they cannot give me what I am seeking. So, amrutattva desiring immortality or recognizing the fact that what he is seeking is immortality and what the world and the objects are, are mortal and therefore they cannot give me what I am seeking, avrutta chakshuhu. He withdraws his eyes or his sense organs in the mind from external world. Does it mean that he closes them or he turns them inside or that it, you know, the idea is he no more looks at the world as a, as a solution for his problems, that's all. Pratyagatmana maikshada, he looks at himself and, and Pratyaga, he saw the self that was immortal. So some wise or contemplary person 
I mean, realizes that what one is seeking is immortality. And therefore, that immortality cannot be obtained from the objects and achievements of the world, all of which are mortal. And therefore, he withdraws the attention, he turns the attention towards himself, pratyagatma namaikshada, he saw pratyagatma, the inner self, desiring immortality, that inner self is of the nature of immortality. So, pratyagatmanam, pratyagatma is inner self, as compared to other atmas. That outer self, because the body also is called atma, the self, the mind also is called the self, the intellect also is called self, that is because we have the idea of self or idea of I notion is centered upon all these things as compared to all those external self you may say the true self is called pratyagatma or the inner self otherwise really speaking in self there cannot be such divisions as external and inner inner so next question when you say inner self that means there is an outer self in fact atma the word is explained as yad atmodi that which pervades everything is called atma so atma is all pervasive yadadatte that which receives everything meaning that which swallows everything into itself is called atma yachatya vishayani hai and one that witnesses and experiencing all the sense objects is also is called atma yachasya santato bhava hai that on account of which the world has this continuity. So that which imparts the existence and continuity in the creation, that which is the witness or experiencer of all the sense objects, that which is substratum which resolves the whole universe unto itself, and that which is all pervasive in the universe, this is called Atma. So an Atma such as this, which is all pervasive, there cannot be division of inner and outer. But it is said again temporarily, in order to withdraw our attention from outer, it is said, inner self. Because ultimately the self is, as every knowledge, all the knowledge takes place in the mind, self also is to be known in our own mind. Therefore it is said, the self is to be known in our heart. And heart is inside. In that sense it is said, inner self. Inasmuch as inside or in the heart or in my mind is where I know the self. In that sense it is said, inner self. So upon the self that is inner, people superimpose now. Idam, idam, I am, I am. The self is this, self is this, self is that, self is that. I am. I am means this. So I am sure. for the Atma, the Pratyaka Atma, the inner self, that is self-evident. <coughs> and that is why it becomes the locus of all kinds of superimpositions. You know when can a superimposition take place? Only when a thing is known to us, in a general way, but not known in a particular way. When can there be a superimposition, let us have a snake upon a rope, when the rope is known in general? as there is something here. Nobody is going to superimpose a snake upon rope in pitch darkness. Nobody is going to superimpose snake upon the rope in broad daylight either. <coughs> or when does the superimposition of a snake upon the rope or any other thing upon the rope takes place? When does it take place? 
when it is neither broad daylight nor it is pitch darkness, it is an in-between twilight kind of a condition where the rope is seen all right but not seen as rope. So I say there is something there. Thus a general knowledge of something being there is there. But the particular knowledge of rope being there is not there. And then alone the superimposition can take place. Otherwise it cannot take place. If rope is known as rope, if the particular aspect of the rope, namely it is rope, is known, then also there cannot be superimposition. Or if rope, rope is not known at all because of the darkness, that is rope is not even generally known as this, then also superimposition cannot take place. It can only take place when the rope is known in general, but not known in particular. And so also, superimposition does take place upon the self, who is known in general, but not in particular. Since Atma, the self, is the nature of awareness, existence, self-revealing. And therefore, everyone knows the self in the general way, I know that I am. I don't have to check with anybody else, don't have to verify with anyone else whether I am there or not. Where am I? I may have to ask someone. How am I? I may have to check with a doctor. But that I am, there is no question about it because everyone knows without any effort, I am. Are you? Do you exist? Let me think. I don't have to think. Let me see, do I exist or not? I don't have to see. I don't have to make any effort to know that I am. Why? Because that existence reveals itself. That is called self-revealing. Self-revealing doesn't mean that comes before my eyes or anything. Self-revealing meaning that existence of that is known without any pramanam, without any means of knowledge or without any effort. If an effort is required, the means of knowledge is required, like eyes, ears, etc., that shows that the object is not self-revealing. It requires our sense organs of the mind to reveal that object and then alone it can be known. We say that Atma is self-revealing, which means that it doesn't require the sense organs or the mind to reveal its existence. It reveals its own existence because it is self-revealing. And therefore, everyone knows the self as is. Self is. I am. <coughs> and I am conscious or I shine, even that also is known to me. Even Priyam, that I love myself, that also is evident to me. Ahamasmi sadabhami kadachit nahamapriyaha. I am, I ever shine, I never dislike myself. I is always the locus of love for myself. All of this is common knowledge to everyone. This is what we call samanya jnanam or general knowledge about the self. And that everyone has. If that was not there, then superimposition would not have taken place. But when we, then we do not have the particular knowledge. What is the nature of the self? That is Satchidananda. Is not only, that not only I am, but I am the very existence. Not only that I shine, but I am the very intelligence. Not only that I love myself, but I am the object or locus of all the love. That I, I exist alright, but I am an unqualified existence. That I am intelligent all right, but I am unqualified intelligence. That I love myself all right, but I am of the nature of unqualified love. That particular thing I do not know. So Vishesh Jnanam 
or the particular knowledge about the I not being there, there is a classical, classic condition created there for what we call superimposition. Therefore, we give the illustration of this rope and snake. As to explain superimposition, it's a, it's an ideal situation where the rope is known in general as this, something is there, but not known in particular that this is rope. And so also, the self is known as existing, as awareful, but not known that it is unqualified existence or unqualified awareness or that it is limitless, this is not known. And therefore, superimpositions of Dhyarupa take place. <coughs> what sort of a Dhyarupa takes place? Whatever is in front of us, that's what we take to be self. Anything, that's shi- anything that is conscious, anything that is sentient is taken to be self. So this body is sentient. So, naturally we take it to be self. Sense organs are also sent, they act as sentient things, therefore that also is taken as self. The mind also is conscious, and therefore that is also taken as self. The intellect also is conscious, and therefore the body, sense organs, mind, intellect, all of which are, they all of them shine as conscious entities. And therefore they are taken to be self. Nobody takes a table to be the self because it is inert. And the distinction between the table and I is very clear. I know the table as non-self. And I know I as separate from the table. And therefore, no mistake is committed there. No, no error takes place. But when it comes to this body, somehow I do not realize that. Body also is an object of my knowledge as much as the table is. I have some special relationship with the body. Or some special feelings about this body. Why is this so? Because I think that that is I. So that is where these errors of superimpositions take place. This has been discussed earlier. How the body and our mind and our intellect, by their being very, by their very being there, how they become the occasions of committing this error. Because body appears to be conscious, presents itself as a self, and therefore or naturally a common man, an ignorant person, who is unenlightened or uninitiated, takes naturally the body to be the self. And therefore, many people thus superimpose various notions upon the self. Aidam idam, I am I am, it is this and it is that. Or I am this and I am that. This kind of notions are superimposed upon the self. And all these are, these various notions that obtain are all of them described one by one here. And various people are also mentioned as to whose opinion it is. Who is the person who takes the body to be the self? And who is the person who takes the mind to be the self? And who is the person who takes the intellect to be the self? There are philosophers or thinkers who came to such conclusions. So there were thinkers who came to the conclusion that the self is emotional being, self is intellectual being, intellectual being, self is a series of, of momentary consciousness, a flow of momentary consciousness. Someone says self is consciousness conditioned by ignorance. Somebody says self is shunyam or void. Somebody says self is a doer. Somebody says self is only enjoyer. And all this Various thinkers who thought about this came to these various conclusions and all those various conclusions on the part of various thinkers are presented in subsequent passages. 
not so much to bother about who was thinking what or to get the satisfaction of refuting and dismissing them all or ridiculing them all. But a certain order is followed here in presenting these various ideas or various conclusions in order to lead our attention from the most external or gross to the subtler than the subtlest. So, the teacher here employs a beautiful method of leading our attention to from the gross to the subtle. And they call it Arundhati Pradarshana Nyaya. Arundhati. You must have heard this. Arundhati is a star. These days, early mornings, about six o'clock, if you look up in the sky, you will be able to see a constellation, a group of seven, seven stars called Saptarshi. They are imagined to be seven rishis or seven sages. Each one of them has a name. It is like a question mark, you know. So in a question mark form, you find the seven stars and they are known as seven rishis or seven sages. It is said that for the welfare of this world, they are constantly performing the penance. You know, this is how they are looked upon. So these are seven sages. Saptarshi. And in the middle star, the name of the Rushi is Vashishtha. The middle star is Vashishtha. And in this group of Saptarshi, the women do not have a place as yet. But the wife of this Rushi, Vasishtha, was such a pious woman that she actually found a place in this constellation and it said that there is a small star, very, very, very fine, which is there just beside that star of Vasishtha. So that star is there. Then more, many people cannot see it with bare eyes. I find it, I find it almost impossible to see it myself. But it is there. And it is also, there is also a custom that when the bride and groom get married, so when, in that, when the wedding is being performed, at one point in time, both of them are asked to look up and look at the Arundhati, that very small, fine star. It is said that whoever sees that first, or whoever is able to spot that Arundhati, becomes a controlling factor, you know, in the, in the family, and things like that. So, there are different ways of determining. There are some games also they play to decide who will control, you know, this, this marriage. Anyway, so now the priest wants to point out this Arundhati. They have to see Arundhati as one of the auspicious things also. So a few auspicious things are there. The Arundhati, Darshan of Arundhati is considered to be auspicious for the bride and groom and therefore they must be led to see that Arundhati. They won't be able to see it right away and therefore the priest will perhaps draw their attention Slowly and slowly. Do you see that moon, that bright star? So this fellow thinks, that is Arundhati. Yes, I see that. Okay. But that's not Arundhati. Now see the other one, little less bright star. Then this person thinks, that is Arundhati. Says, yeah, I see that. No, not that. Now see the other one, even less bright star. And like that in stages, as his vision gets focused to bright and less bright and less bright and less bright and less bright, ultimately, his attention or is brought to that Arundhati, which is very, very feeble shining there. And ultimately this one says, yes, I see that. So that Arundhati Darshana or seeing Arundhati is one of the steps 
in the process of firing. Many other things are done, but this is one of the things done. So this Arundhati Nyaya, or this process of showing Arundhati has become very famous. <clears throat> so in order for someone, in order to make someone see something which is very subtle, not apparent, not evident, which requires focusing on the attention, then customarily the teachers make them first focus attention on that which is evident. And then, when that is done, then that which is less evident, and less evident, and less evident, and less evident, ultimately bring their focus to the very self, which is least evident, or which is subtler than the subtlest. Because it is very difficult for one direct, immediate focus attention upon the self, it being extremely subtle. And therefore, what is being done in the following passages is that the attention of the student is led from the grossest or the most evident form of the self to the subtlest and the true form of the self in various stages. At every stage, every stage is presented as an opinion which obtains. So in the process of presenting various opinions that are obtained about the self, what the teacher intends to do or what is doing is drawing our attention from the grossest to the subtlest to make us see the self in its true nature. And that's the method that is employed in the subsequent passages which we will take up from tomorrow. <coughs>